invite you to pray with me as we just consider God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these moments where we get to hear your voice. I thank you for a midweek opportunity where in the midst of everything we get to be rebuilt by the power of your love, by the power of your cross. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my very favorite things to do is to teach a class called Starting Point. And what's uh, fun about this evening is there are some of the classmates in Starting Point here tonight. And if it's been a while, if you've been in it recently or haven't been in a while, uh, I love teaching on the natural knowledge of God. Do you know what the natural knowledge of God is? It's two-pronged. Number one, uh, because of creation, you can know that God exists. Maybe you thought that today when you heard the storm uh, on the roof or the wind outside, you knew that there is a God because there's something bigger than you. This storm, creation. Creation, again, is proof God exists. The other prong of the natural knowledge of God is our conscience. And our conscience tells us that at one point or another, we've broken God's law. At one point or another, we've had the cold sweats we knew what we should have done and didn't do it, or afterwards we just felt guilty for what we did or we said. Now, if you sum up what people can know by the natural knowledge of God, here is the truth that they can walk around with. God exists, creation. He's mad at me, conscience. God exists, and he's mad at me. God exists, and he's mad at me. Your friends who don't go to church or know Jesus. Your coworkers who you see at the water cooler. Your family who may not be connected right now. All they can hear naturally in their subconscious spiritually is God exists and he's mad at me. How's that feel? What a weight. What a bad place to be. To just feel that God is an angry judge. In fact, in my experience of reaching out to those who aren't connected, one of the reasons they don't want to come here is because it will confirm in their hearts, God does exist, he's mad at me, and when I come, he's going to strike me with lightning, the roof is going to fall down, and I'll finally get what I deserve. They're afraid. Which is why I love our mission. What's our mission? To reach the lost with the love, the love of Christ. So the question is, how can someone who only believes God exists and he's mad at me get to a point where they know what we believe, that God is a God of love, a God of mercy? And the answer? Repentance. When John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus... That's a nice noise. <laughs> when he was preparing the way for Jesus, um, he had one word. Scripture tells us he came with a ministry of repentance. He wanted people to turn from their sin and turn towards God because he knew what they would find. That when they turned towards God, he wasn't going to strike them down he wasn't going to remind them just how awful they were. He was going to hold out grace in the form of Jesus Christ. 
You know, when we confess our sins, when we repent, the power of that sacrifice is what we find on the other side. We find grace. You know, 1 John 2 tells us about this. 1 John 2 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How beautiful is that? How does it feel to know I've been purified? How does it feel to know that a holy God looks down at you, looks down at me, and says, perfect, just because of Jesus? The power of repentance is in that we can have that feeling of revival and we're good with God. That's something that David needed. What's so interesting about David's story is he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who showed such great faithfulness and righteousness in his life until... If you read the account, all the kings went off to war, which is to say David should have gone off to war. But he didn't, and while he was idle, staying there, he saw Bathsheba. And then lust took over, calling Bathsheba over. And then beyond that act of adultery, he had an act of murder. He sent Uriah with his own death certificate. This, the man after God's own heart. And he continued into what commentators say is a period of perhaps unbelief. Because he didn't repent. And David tells us what that felt like. Do you remember the words? It was like my bones were wasting away. It was like my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When I continued in a path, knowing my sin and not repenting, it didn't feel good at all. I could tell myself all I wanted to tell myself, but I knew there was something up. Until it turned. Rebuked by a prophet named Nathan, he confessed his sins, and what did he find? A merciful God. Someone who revived him once again. And that's the opportunity for us. You know, Luther, when he wrote the 95 Theses, perhaps you know the first of his theses, he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And why? Is it so that you could walk through life with a guilt trip like the lost do? I don't think so. It's so that as often as you come to the cross, as often as you come to Jesus, you could be reminded that paid for it and you are set free. And free you are. So that we could be light no matter how much we have together, no matter how much we have falling apart, we could be light knowing that we're good with the holy God. We could have peace knowing that God does not treat us as our sins deserve because that's why Jesus came to be treated as sins deserve. And so we find freedom through repentance. You know, I love teaching on the three parts of repentance. Number one is our sorrow over sin. Number two, which is what I just talked about, trusting that we're forgiven. And number three, trying to do differently. 
Now, this is not a form of legalism where we go out from here and say, well, we're going to prove how we're better or prove our salvation by our performance. But if you want to thank God, what if we started hating sin and loving righteousness? What if we ask God to do that in our hearts? You know, I was talking to staff today. It kind of reminded me of how we change appetites. I don't know if this ever happened to you. Um, when I was, for a long time growing up and, uh, and throughout even my adolescence, I ate cereal. And I had a good friend, a buddy, who said, cereal is really not good for you and you should try eggs. Now, eggs did not sound good to me. They didn't smell good to me. Eggs are kind of funky, right? And yet... For the last probably five years, I've been eating eggs, and it's interesting what happens to my appetite. I now wake up craving eggs. Yeah, you got it. That's what the body does. The body gets used to the new menu. The body gets used to the new thing that it's getting fed. What if we did this spiritually? Trying to speak to our new man. Say to the old man, you're not going to get fed anymore. We're just feeding that new man. What if we woke up and we had a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? And we put it on the menu so often so that ultimately, you know, this is just what I do. Everything foreign is not what I do. That's, that's a break from the routine. That's our opportunity for the God who loved us so much. He sent his son. Because you know what heaven rejoices over? Do you, do you hear this, what angels rejoice over? They don't rejoice when things go our way. They don't rejoice when they've saved us yet again from traffic or the snow. No, the time that it says heaven is throwing a party and all the angels are rejoicing is when we, sinners, repent. So let's make heaven throw a party every day. Let's remember the feeling on the other side of confessing our sins and let us then commit to having an appetite, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness. We consider all this as we now read the words of Psalm 32, David's experience from sin into repentance into relief. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. These are the powerful words of God. At this time, I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing our next song. It's a new one for us at Amazing Love. It's a song we're going to continue to sing during this season. It's called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. What gift of grace 
Is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope. The race 
seated. So I want to start my little portion of this tonight by just showing you how weird I am. Like, I'm, I'm weird. I'll admit it. I own it. And, um, and in my weirdness, I um, make competitions out of things that I don't think anyone else makes competitions out of. Like, for example, uh, when we're building a puzzle in my family, it's, it's not just being cooperative and putting it together. I've been known to slip a little puzzle piece in my pocket so that I can, you know, put the last puzzle piece in. And when I put the last puzzle piece in, you know the definition of that is you win because you just completed the puzzle. Well, let me tell you another one that I'm not sure how many people do, although I'm guessing there's probably some men in this room that do this one. I engage in um, competitive grocery bag bringing in. And, and what I mean by that is... When Julie comes back from the grocery shopping, um, I will even ask for her help. I'll start to load up all my arms with the bags and the, and the, the soda and all this stuff. And I'm like this, no, honey, I can take one more thing. Find one more thing. And, and, and so she'll take a cantaloupe or something like that and put it like right on top of the whole stack while, you know, my hands are like over full. I got this. I got this, Julie. Don't worry about me at all. And I'm I like in my head, I'm thinking, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to count how many bags I got in and all the fruit and the soda pop. And you know what happens more often than not, though? And this is so sad when this happens. That cantaloupe, the very last thing she piles on top, will roll off hit the hard kitchen floor, and bam, there's the cantaloupe. She tries to argue me out of it every time, but I won't allow her because that's how weird I am. Competitive grocery bag bringing in. Now, why do I bring that up for Ash Wednesday? Well, we're going to meet two men tonight that Jesus talks about in a parable. He's visiting with a, a, a crowd of people and Jesus knows hearts. And one of the things he knows about the hearts of the people that are before him is their hearts are like my grocery bag arms. They are already filled, not with groceries, but with their own righteousness. And they're, they're wanting to come to God. That's why they're listening to Jesus. But their hearts are already filled. They're confident that they are good people. Now, I want to just suggest to you that we have a lot of people in our world today who are confident that they are good people. And I agree with what Pastor Dustin said, that uh, many people who don't know God 
Um, they avoid church. I've encountered many of these. No, pastor, I, I can't go to church because the lightning is going to strike if I do. I, I know how bad I am. And likewise, there's a number of people who don't even feel they need God and won't come to church not because they're afraid God's going to strike them dead if they ever darken the door of a church. They won't come to church because they're absolutely convinced they don't need church. They don't need God. Why? Because they're good people and only bad people need God. Only weak people need God to be a, a crutch. But in their mind's eye, their, their arms are already full of the things they spiritually think they need. Now, we heard about David in our previous reading. That was not David. Oh, my goodness. As a man of God, he was often, if you read through the Psalms, struck down by his own guilt. Let me reread some of the words Dustin just read to us. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I mean, this guy is really feeling the shame and the guilt of his sins. Day and night, your hand felt heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But tonight, Jesus tells us, and I'm just going to read about the first of the two men Jesus introduces to us. And I don't think he felt quite like David felt. Jesus says this, and remember who's before him. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. A parable, as you know, is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. Now, I think for, for most of us as people who've been Christians and we've been taught about God's way, that prayer strikes us as awfully arrogant because we've, we've heard God's law. But I want you to consider this. Why, why does this Pharisee think so highly of himself? Do you, do you know how you think of yourself is all about what you measure yourself against? And the reason this Pharisee lets himself entirely off the hook is he's, he's coming in to God, into the temple, praying to God, with his arms full because he's measured himself against people who can't carry as many spiritual grocery bags as he can. He's like, look, look, Lord. Thank, thank you so much, Lord, that you've maybe made me able to just be this good a man. And notice who he compares himself. He doesn't really compare himself against some of the heroes of the faith like David, no, he's, he's saying, I'm not a robber. Lord, you've never seen me go into an elementary school and, and shoot it all up. Look how good I am. 
I'm not an evildoer. I don't, Lord, you know I don't. I don't steal from my company. I don't go to work and gossip all over the place trying to destroy other people's reputation. So, yeah, I have all these bags of goodness in my arm. I've never committed adultery. And I'm not even like this tax collector standing over there. Can I tell you a sad truth? If you didn't know Jesus and the law and the gospel, many of us would think like this. In fact, many people do think like this. In fact, <coughs> if you ask people generally, you think you're a good person? Do you know what you're going to get most of the time? You know, not. Yeah, I think I'm a, I do. I think I'm a good person. And why is that? It's what they're measuring themselves against. Look, we can all be good people next to Adolf Hitler. We can all be good people next to a mass murderer. We can all be good people next to Bernie Madoff. So it's all what you measure yourself against. And, and what's so weird about our psychology as sinful, fallen human beings is we have this tendency naturally to think, I'm a good person if I can find people who are not as good morally as I am. Now, let's find the second guy. Because Jesus is going to come to a question at the end. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, which, which actually in a lot of other uh, settings is uh, translated not as beat your breast, but as grieve deeply. This is a word that is used for deep grief. And said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. How many grocery bags of his own goodness does this man bring into the temple? You know, in Zambia, it's kind of funny, you know, if uh, here in America, we talk about coming empty-handed, we'll often go, I came empty-handed, right? An interesting quirk of Zambian African culture is when they, when, when they talk, and they do, they talk about a person coming in to visit a family or a village and when they, when they talk about a person coming in empty-handed, you know what they do? They don't do this. They do this. He came empty-handed. In fact, the word they use for coming empty-handed, and maybe I've shared this with you before, I'm not sure, is he came chinquamanza, which means bread-handed. See, doesn't that kind of look like two little loaves of bread attached to your arm? And so that little phrase means he came with nothing. To, he didn't bring a chicken. He didn't bring a loaf of bread. He didn't bring a bag of sugar. He didn't bring, a, you know, tea to share with everyone. Because people do that even in Africa, just like they do it here in America. But they don't say he came empty-handed. They say he came empty-handed. Chinquamanza. This guy? He came chinquamanza. 
before God. And he, he is feeling it the way David was feeling his sin. Deep grief and sorrow over how spiritually empty-handed he was. He couldn't even look up to heaven because you know what that suggested looking up to? It's like, I could look up to God. Nope, not me. I'm not looking up to him. He might just decide to appear in a moment and strike me dead if I look up there. I'm standing down here. And he's beating his breast. And what a counterintuitive attitude that is for us as human beings. We all feel like, man, I, God, I want to offer you at least some little thing. And many of us would say, I would like to offer God everything I can. But in reality, it's interesting because Jesus suggests a question here, which he answers immediately. Which one went home righteous before God? Which one left forgiven, shown mercy? Well, not the guy that, you know, I'm trying to be a hero to my wife. Brings all the grocery bags in, piled high with the cantaloupe on top, and if I make it all the way to the kitchen, you know, who knows, maybe I get a little peck on the cheek. A reward for bringing all that in. God doesn't want that person. God wants the person who comes chinkle-minded. And that man who just emptied himself and said, I've got no goodness, Lord. i got nothing to offer you except just to say, please, Lord, show your mercy to me. Make a sacrifice that can pay for all my sins. And we're talking here about the power of sacrifice. And that is the power of sacrifice. That where we come chinkwamanza, Jesus, because of the cross and the empty tomb, comes to us loaded down with blessings that he gives to us each and every day. And that one day in heaven, we can't even imagine how many blessings he's going to pour out to us because of his grace, his undeserved love to us. Now, Jesus concludes with these words. But I tell you that this man, the sinful man, the tax collector who stood at a distance, wouldn't look up to heaven and beat his breast, I tell you that man rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think Dustin's in my prayer for all of us, all of our staff's prayer for our congregation and our church family is, is that this will just be a season, 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Good Friday, as Dustin said earlier, where we simply learn one by one by one by one to empty our arms and each Sunday as we go through the power of sacrifice and see a new Jesus sacrifice of mercy and grace for us, we'll walk away with one or two or five or ten less things of our own and walk away with more things from Christ. 
that he's won for us by the cross and the empty tomb. His love, his mercy, his peace. And man, want to make productive use of six weeks, 40 days? Nothing better than to release all the things of yourself, all your pride, all you want to offer to God and just say, God, I'm coming to you, chinkwaman. Now, Lord, please bless me. Show mercy. Let's join in confessing our faith. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Even as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity, this is most certainly true. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, during this Lent season, as we ponder the power of your sacrifice on the cross, that you gave your complete self to us, your life to us. You sacrificed everything. There's nothing more you could have sacrificed. All to show us your love and earn our forgiveness. And Lord, help us to have the heart of a man like David. He was a man after your own heart. And, and even though he was also a real man who sometimes struggled to come to a realization of his sins, even in the case of Bathsheba, he needed to be sent a man, a prophet named Nathan, to point out to him, look, brother, David, what you did there was a horrible sin. But Lord, once you, through Nathan, led him to that conclusion, he was struck right down to his very soul by his sin. And I pray, Lord, that you would do the same for us during this season. And Lord, empty us of ourselves. Empty us of our, of our own goodness, our own righteousness, and help us to simply recognize our measure is not other people. Our measure is your holy will. Our measure is your holy word, your holy law. And when we really examine that measure and ourselves by that measure, Lord, we confess we fall far short, impossibly short. So, Lord, use this time to show us the power of your sacrifice for us and convince us once again of how massive your grace and forgiveness are for us. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Jesus, you also taught us to pray these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.